Hello, Bearcat fans, and welcome into another episode of the BCJ Podcast, presented by our great sponsor, the Holy Grail. Baseball's in full swing. Bengals are a couple weeks away from starting. UC road games right after, right, right after that, right around that same time. Make sure you head down to the Holy Grail. Check them out. Get a cold beer. Get some good food while you're uh, waiting to go to the Reds game or tailgating before Bengals game. Got to support the people that support us. I believe Chad will be there again this year for all the road games. I heard a commercial on the radio the other day saying that. So hopefully that is uh, still accurate. But uh, yeah, definitely head on down to the banks. Go to the Holy Grail. Get a cold beer. Hopefully they have some Cincy Light on on draft for you. And uh, get ready for a big football season in Cincinnati. As you can obviously tell. I'm not Chad. I'm not doing, or he is not here yet. This is David. Be joined by Aaron. What's up, Aaron? How are you doing? Doing all right. Doing all right. We will uh, We will have a Big 12 guest at some point tonight, I believe. Uh, Jeff Hansen uh, from the BYU 24-7 site should be joining us. He had some uh, other professional duties that got sprung on him. At the last minute, wasn't able to make it at our, you know, typical right out of the shoot eight o'clock time slot. So we will get into that hopefully uh, when he joins us. But uh, you get me and Aaron here for a little bit until until Chad makes it back from Kelsey's uh, Wednesday night volleyball game. I was talking to him today, trying to get an idea of what time that might be, and he said, "Well, if it goes anything like Monday." Could be pretty quick since they got uh, rolled pretty bad in two sets. So, you know, we'll, we'll see if they fared any better tonight. And we will uh, we'll get it started with uh, Aaron. I know you and I just spoke and, and we'll, just, we'll do a little conference realignment since there was an interview. A good interview today. If you haven't gotten a chance to check it out, write your mark on with uh, Andrew Marshan, John Orrand podcast really good stuff a lot always a lot of sports media interviews and discussion if you're into that but they had brett your mark on it was actually their hundredth podcast episode so they uh good interview and i'd say the biggest thing that he said around along the lines of conference realignment was that you know pretty much confirmed what seemed to be fairly well known is that they did have legitimate conversations with UConn and Gonzaga. Uh, he didn't really get into the whole, like, would UConn have been of all sports edition, just a basketball, because he really didn't have to. He's not going to say at this point. Uh, but he pretty much confirmed that, but also said that that, you know, 100% went out the window when, he, I think he called it the dream scenario of adding the four Pac-12 schools uh, also said that they are done. We all know what that means <laughs> in in conference realignment. They're done today. Right. We'll see. You know, if Florida State comes up with three hundred million dollars and blows up the ACC tomorrow, I'm gonna guess that they're not done anymore. But you know, as of today, as of recording of his podcast, they are done. 
Yeah, I, I'm I'm happy that it didn't go the way of Gonzaga and UConn. I personally didn't see how that would necessarily boost your brand as right now you're trying to become a power in football. And obviously neither of the two those two schools bring that to the table. Not to mention the fact that if Prorata was not to be included with these two schools, you potentially would have run the risk of having two schools paid on a different sliding scale than the rest of the teams in your conference, which creates a little turmoil in conference. So I wasn't at all upset that these two schools weren't included, just given that they don't bring anything to the football table. No, I mean, I was pretty indifferent on them, but that was only in the situation of like, if the Pac-12 stayed together, I could understand Brett Yormark going to the presidents and his board and being like, you know, I got you these four schools. I got you the TV deal. Now, you know, I, I should have enough equity built up. I think this is a value. Let me do this. I wouldn't have agreed. Like I, I wouldn't have been like, Oh yes, finally we've, you know, we got UConn and Gonzaga, but I, I would have understood it from his perspective and, and, you know, he, he did talk a little bit on, in that interview about the what he sees as the value in basketball in that he doesn't think football is overvalued. He just thinks the basketball portion, and probably specifically the Big 12, when you consider sure. how strong it is, is undervalued. I think he said, you know, he feels basketball, Big 12 basketball, should be valued at about 25% of the media rights deal, but they're not getting paid at 20, like they're not getting paid at 25% of the media rights deal. And I, yeah. I can, I can understand that. I can see that. I mean, he's got the numbers. He's, he knows, I mean, who am I to say like, Oh no, I think it's only worth 17%. Like I have, I have no idea. That's just an arbitrary number I'd be throwing out there, but I understand his point. Like we have, the strongest basketball conference we're adding to it we feel like our value is stronger than 25 percent of our total uh tv contract yeah i mean what do we know about brett yormark i feel like he is always trying to be one or two moves ahead right so as he's planting this seed and kind of setting up for whenever the next media rights deal comes up he's already kind of put it out there that he doesn't feel that the basketball is being portioned correctly. So I, I feel like this is him just kind of, it's kind of like what Phil Jackson used to do when he was coaching, right? He'd always be kind of talking to the refs, not necessarily about what happened that play, but trying to point out things that he was hoping to get down the road. And so I, I think that this is him just kind of playing, playing chess, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, if the big 12 continues to have the level of success that it has had, you know, in we'll call it the last five years for the next six years. And then my, you know, it's very, very hard to win a national championship. The big 12 has had an incredible run and none of them have included Texas and Oklahoma, uh, an incredible run of Texas tech, making it to the title game, Kansas, winning it, Baylor, winning it. Um, you know, Houston going now joining the league, going to the final four, the history of Arizona, like if they can continue, you know, Kansas State goes to the Final Four. If they can continue 
this level of success, I, you know, it'd be very hard pressed for me not to, for him to be able to sell to somebody, you know, whether it's Fox, you know, ESPN, uh, you know, another, like, guys, look at us. I mean, we have had at least one Final Four participant eight out of the last 10 years. We've had four national champions. Like, this is, this is not just like, oh, here, we're going to broadcast a few of your games. Like, you need to take this property and market it and, you know, look look at everything that we've done. Look at the success we've had. Look at the numbers. Like, I could totally see him saying, like, yeah, football is still worth 28 and basketball is worth 10 or some, you know, something like that where, you know, yeah. some, somebody might want to be the exclusive home of Big 12 basketball. I mean, Fox – is clearly in with the Big Ten. They're in with the Big Twelve. We'll, you know, again, we'll see where everything ends up the next time around. But, you know, the the conference. I can't imagine that all of a sudden the conference is just going to, you know, drop down a level or two, and not have these teams that are are national powers. And again, you can't predict. Like, you have no idea if teams are going to make the Final Four or whatever. But it's hard to imagine them not continuing some of the same success that they've had recently. Yeah. I don't, I don't foresee a drop off in that regard. I don't know that you'll necessarily make the final four every single year, but as far as the product that you're putting out there, the quality of the product, I, I don't see that dropping off anytime soon, especially when you see the way that recruiting has gone for the teams in the big 12 and even for teams that are coming into the big 12, looking at you, Cincinnati, um, you know, I, I think that everybody's been kind of stepping that up. So I, I don't see anything dropping off there. We also know that the Big 12 is not shy about getting contractually, uh, getting into bed with both Fox and ESPN at the same time. Um, that's something that they did with football and, and something that I think that you'll continue to see. Uh, whereas you see the SEC and, and Big 10 have obviously been championed by one or the other. So I, I think that playing both fields – playing both sides, if you will. Um, I think that's the, kind of the way to do it for this conference and, and what they're doing thus far. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, so much of conference realignment, especially with the Pac-12 this time around, was was about linear and streaming. It'll be interesting to see, like, where is streaming in in five, six, seven years when the, when the contract is up? Would it make sense to put a lot of basketball on streaming just because there's more games? You know, I think it's hard to put football on streaming because you either got to go all or nothing, I feel like. It's hard to do a little bit because if I'm a streamer, if I'm Apple, if I'm Amazon, and you tell me I can have like a little piece, well, then that means I'm getting like your third level games. And who's who's paying to watch – who's paying extra to watch your third level game? Whereas in basketball – on a Wednesday night, the entire league could be playing. So, and you could have good games on the streaming platform on a pretty regular basis. I think the biggest thing that you have to watch out for, though, in regards to taking everything streaming is the fact that I don't feel like any of these networks were quite prepared for the background of what it takes to put a production out there on a streaming platform. I don't like the delay between real time, especially if you're looking at 
betting has been has swept over the country at this point for large part. Um, and if you're looking to place action on something that is currently happening and you're just going by what's happening on your phone and not like just the updates happening on your phone and not what's actually happening with your eyes, I think that's a that's a tough sell. Yeah, I mean, there's there's certain elements. I mean, I am I'm an an old yeah old school. I don't know if that's the right word. Like, I still have cable. One of my biggest things that I do know, I love to just be able to flip, especially when I'm watching a college football Saturday. Right. I want to be able to flip. I watch a ton of games. I very you know if it's not UC, it's and it's not Tennessee, and it's not a a marquee game that might you know that isn't up against one of my teams like I'm flipping all the time. I have no interest in hitting the back button on my smart TV remote, getting out of the ESPN app, getting into Peacock to watch Notre Dame, you know, say it's Notre Dame, Ohio state, you know, if, if everything was streaming, like that is right. a huge, a huge drawback for me. And I know that people probably laugh at that and be like, dude, it takes like 30 seconds, one minute. I just don't like it. Like I no, it's it's inconvenient as a user. I totally agree with you. The interface is not the same. It's far simpler to just be like back, hit yeah. one button, and it jumps to the other channel that you were watching. Yeah, as so, opposed I mean, to and I, I'm sure yeah. whether it's whether you know we've heard the rumors of ESPN is going to go direct cons- to consume. You know, who knows where this shit's going to go in five or six years? But I feel like it. You know. From a basketball standpoint, I can see it making more sense to be heavy streaming than football. I, football to me makes no sense. Um, you know, so yes, Tonka, I, I have heard of YouTube TV. It also doesn't have all the channels that I like to watch. <laughs> yeah, uh, Jason brings up a good point here. How much of it is your mark? Knows networks will be programming with the Hollywood strikes going on now. There will not be new shows for months and months. Fox, ABC, etc., are going to need content. I don't think it's anything that they aren't obviously aware of. They're again usually steps ahead of everybody else in that regard. Yeah, uh, but I. When it comes to live sports, it's been king. It, that's not new. You know, this isn't something that is right. is being rivaled like, by CS, CSI New Orleans or whichever Did city you hear they're the, on. The president for Arizona State had some, a, a very interesting comment today. He's still like, he's still trumpeting this Pac-12 deal. Like they're not even in the Pac-12 anymore. And he's still he did an interview today, and he's talking about how great the the Pac-12 deal was because you can record a game. And then watch it whenever you want. I'm like, this guy just learned what streaming was. <laughs> like, like, and but but again, like, live sports is like the one thing that people don't do that with. You can also record games on YouTube TV, and it will stay there for or as long ESP, as you want. Or ESPN Plus, or Peacock. Like, <laughs> you can. So it's like, but like. Live sports is the thing that people don't do that with. Like you, you typically watch it live, unless you or, have a a or streaming and you're watching it on a five ten second delay right. from you everybody watch, else. You watch it live, or you have some sort of conflict that you're trying not to find out what happened because you want to, you know, see it in your real time. Um, yeah, throwing throwing my phone into the corner so I'm not getting the alerts or something. <laughs> but yeah, but it, it's um, you know, we'll see. I you know. With, it just feels like he is as connected as as you could really be, you know, with whether it's with the media companies, whether it's with the, the schools. I mean, he, he's clearly building these relationships. It wouldn't surprise me if he's 
had conversations with teams in the already, uh, with schools in the ACC, through back channels, through intermediaries. But, like, you don't think he's, he's thrown a, a call out to a Louisville, a Pitt, just to name a few. Be like, hey, guys, if things do hit the fan and if Florida State somehow does this and tries to blow up the conference, like, you know, what what are your ideas? Like, would you want to be would you want to be on in the Big Twelve? Would you is that something that would interest you to you know down the line? I mean, come on, they, these people have these talks all the time. Oh, absolutely. And I'm putting it at a I'm, I'm I don't think I've said this on air anywhere, but I'm putting it at a zero percent chance, absolute zero percent chance that the ACC finishes this deal. Oh no way! Years, thirteen years from now. I mean, if if Florida State's already like talking this strongly about getting out they are hell-bent on getting out it's just a well, matter absolutely of the, i mean of but, course they're talking about that when when you have ucf passing them in revenue that's exactly why they're pissed. yeah i mean it's just a matter of when they feel it's palatable enough from a financial standpoint um obviously i get the in order to get out by 2024, I guess they had to have like announced it yesterday. But I, you know, technically they could announce it at any day to say that we're going to leave in 2025. Now they still have to figure out exit fee and grant of rights, some sort of negotiation on that. Which, if I'm the ACC, I'm like, I'm not negotiating with you. Unless you see eight teams decide to dissolve the conference entirely. And... But see, that's the problem though is. If eight teams decide to do that, then where are all those other teams going? That's, uh, that's, that's for somebody who makes way more money than right, me but to like, decide. It's, it's easy to be like, yeah, I can see Florida State and Clemson causing a stink, but like there's six other teams that feel confident enough that they would be in the – that they would get an invite to one of these other three conferences that they're going to then pay all that money like to get out exit fee, pay all that money, whatever the negotiation of the grant to buy their rent grant to buy their rights back. That, that's basically what they would have to do. I mean, yeah, the ACC owns their television rights. They would have to buy them back. I'd still be shocked if a team like Virginia or North Carolina or Miami, they're all going to find homes. Duke. Um, I mean, I mean I, all of them. All of them would would find a home. Yes, I'm I'm not sure I'd go as far as all of them. Yeah, I think I think we'll agree to disagree then. I mean, homes, sure, good homes, Big Twelve, SEC, Big Ten homes. I don't think so. I which of those teams would you not see landing on their feet somewhere? It, of all the ACC schools, no, the ones that I just listed. Duke, for sure. I don't know. I'd, I'd be I'd be shocked if I your mean, mark wouldn't wouldn't take a pass on them. I mean, I'm sure. It, I'm sure. Considering he's trying to build basketball, to, you're you're asking all of the current Big Twelve schools like to to bring in more teams. I, it, I, it's I agree. It's a tough sell. I I, I don't. I don't think it's just as easy as snap your fingers. Otherwise, they'd have done it like, already. Because so the, the ACC, say the ACC goes away or whatever, is ESPN going to throw all that money into 
the Big 12 because they don't have the Big 10 anymore. So they would either throw all that money into the Big 12 and give the SEC even more, or, I mean, they go buy a different property. Like yeah, they, maybe maybe they, they give, take that money and give it to the Big 12 since they wouldn't have the ACC anymore. Or they, so or they, they give that money to the NFL and get more games. <laughs> you could potentially have that as well. I mean, it's always going to be a, a sliding scale. There's, you know. Sure. I mean, that's just, that becomes the question of, do all do these three conferences then go to like 24 and then that's it? I, like, I can't like if, answer that. If the ACC, if that were, that's why I'm just like, I don't even, I haven't, this is not God's honest truth. I haven't even looked at the realignment thread in over a week. I'm like, I've taken like a complete break of it for the first time in who knows how long. Um, for good reason. There's not been any movement. There's right. I don't believe um, it. J- Jason asked, uh, do you see Florida State and Clemson more valuable to the SEC over North Carolina and Virginia? I do not. I, if I might be out on, on an island with this one, I do not see the SEC having any interest or need for that matter to go back into states that they're already in. That's a fair point. I do not like Florida is a, is a flagship member of the SEC. They will absolutely vote against Florida state getting in. And I'm sure there will be teams that will side with them because they're a flagship member. South Carolina is not a flagship member of the SEC, but they will certainly vote against Clemson. To me, those two will make more sense going to the Big Ten because they're not in Florida and Clemson is a strong football brand where the SEC would go after North Carolina and Virginia because, one, they're both really good schools. And, two, they're in new states and growing states. Like, they don't have a program in Virginia. They don't have a program in North Carolina. They, they're growing states and new states. I think – I think UNC and Virginia would be fights for both leagues, but I think the SEC would see more value in adding North Carolina and Virginia than I do them adding Florida State and Clemson. So Cincinnati has a better chance of joining the SEC than Florida State and Clemson? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get into get into Ohio? I don't want to – yeah, I'm not going to start any, like, you know, conspiracies <laughs> or anything, but um, – I mean, UC has a long way to go still, and they have a big roadblock 70 miles south. But, you know, if they keep doing what they are doing (coughs) and keep building, it wouldn't stun me. I'll just leave it at that. Fair enough. So what else you got then, Dave? Oh, let's see. Um, I love lists. Do you love lists? Depends on the I, list. I say that jokingly. Some people are so trash at lists. I did. I saw a one today. Oh, there's Mr. Brundle. They must not have had a good good day. <laughs> Go on with your list before uh, he pops. Did you in. see the the one today about the ranking of the big 12 basketball arenas based on i don't know what <laughs> so it was put out by a texas tech yes. twitter handle x handle whatever you want to call it at this point i'm not sure um it's, it's a state of transition but uh clearly they've not been to 
I don't know if the, I don't know if whoever put that out had been to even from the pictures that they put on their on their list. Some of the places didn't look more appealing. Well, and, and anybody who's putting Houston's arena over you, Cincinnati's you made arena, the biggest point right off the bat. If you haven't been to a game at an how arena, are you putting a list together? How can you rank one? <laughs> Who would be venue and atmosphere? <laughs> you're, you're ranking venue and atmosphere when you haven't been to the arena. Yeah, I mean, I've been to two. I've been to UC and West Virginia, so I could fear those are one and two because they're better than all the ones I've never been to. Uh, I've been to one, and it was just Cincinnati. I, <laughs> I have not yet been to uh, any of the other conference arenas, uh, but yeah, I don't. I don't. It's clickbait. It's gross. Oh, it's for sure. And I mean, I, I, I just, I love, you know, when you now, it is funny. I'm sure this stuff goes on in all the, uh, all the conferences all the time. Absolutely. But since we've never been in a conference during the Twitter era, that actually, especially had, one that gave a shit. Right. That's what I mean. That actually had more than like one or two teams that care. Uh, we're just seeing all these ridiculous things for the first time. So we're all eager to, to, you know, Tell ever tell the Twitter world how wrong the list is and everything, but I mean, I did. UCF is definitely last. Let's just be—they never sold out a basketball game. And it feels like a, a '70s, like it feels as old as Millet Hall, even though it's fairly brand new. Yeah, I, just from what I've seen on TV, it, it just it feels something from from the '70s. Yeah, I mean. Fog Allen is number one in this list, which I, as well it should be. <laughs> if it wasn't, it would be the worst list of all time. Agreed, easily. Uh, but this 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 list had uh, fifth, third, or even the tenth, which I feel is I, is a couple couple spots a uh, couple spots too low. I'm sure there was no bias that went into that list putting Texas Tech at two. I, I would have had tears. Like the way I look at it, I watch a lot of not as much. Um, it's college football, but I watch a lot of college basketball around the country. Like I would have had Kansas, Arizona, Kansas State, Iowa State, and Arizona. All right, and um, BYU in like the main tier. Like I don't know, if, I don't know if our fans realize it. Like BYU, the Marriott Center is like the biggest gym in the Big Twelve. It seats like twenty something thousand. What else are you going to do in BYU? Right. <laughs> but I would have had, like, those in a tier, and then, like, UC, West Virginia, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, um, Baylor in a tier. You're putting, and, you're putting Baylor in the second tier, not in the, in the bottom tier? Yeah. I, I mean, it doesn't seem to get as rowdy. Like, no, Baylor would be in the second tier. The bottom tier is, like, Colorado, Arizona State, Utah, UCF, and Houston. Like I said, I did. I did send out a tweet today from the Bearcat Journal page, and I, I realized that I didn't phrase it 100% correctly because you, I said, you know, Houston went to the Final Four in 2021, and UC outdrew them by an average of 2,100 fans a game. Now you do have to take into account that UC's arena holds like 3,500 more people than Houston's arena, so that's going to skew the numbers just in that regard. But the year Houston went to the final four, they still averaged 1400 empty seats a game. People don't care. It's that's, the strangest I mean. thing. So like, how can you, 
rank someone based on like atmosphere and and all of that uh, yeah when they're not even you don't you can't even sell out an 8500 seat arena the year you go to the final four because they weren't watching the Houston games it's a, a it's a people from Texas Tech they weren't watching the Houston games they right. don't know they they just know that they advanced far in the tournament they had really good teams and they're like oh they must have been good <laughs> but no I, I find that uh I found that to be funny because you know if it's not a Twitter poll or a list I, you know it, it's hard to see Twitter having a, a reason for existence anymore that's that's a that's a lot of <laughs> that's a lot of what you just see now especially yeah. when it comes to the big 12 because it drives engagement you put out a list and I mean we, we see some of the guys from uh, some some of the people from Bearcat Twitter. We, we've seen lists come out. We've seen uh, different ways of engagement, whether it be uh, best foods from the new conference or whether it be places they're most excited to visit or whatever. There's different stuff that people have found ways to engage with the new fan bases. And oh, yeah. I, I watch it and I'm like, hat tip. Like I, I respect the hustle of just trying to engage with the other fan bases. My favorite is always the polls when your school loses how dumb Twitter polls are. But, you know. Yeah, don't even get me started on the UCF is a bigger brand than I mean, Cincinnati. Twitter polls are just dumb in general. It doesn't really matter if my team wins the poll or not. <laughs> like It doesn't. It matters. Like, it matters. <laughs> They're dumb and it matters. If we're keeping score, it matters. We want to win, right? Especially <laughs> when UCF buys four thousand votes in the middle of the poll, and that was crazy. Still wins. Who are they buying votes from? You just India. You have bots. Yeah, uh, you have bots. Do it. So, like a a, a person like one of us spent actual dollars. They to, probably spent their Twitter revenue to win a, a Twitter poll. That's how it goes, yeah. Oh, interesting. I didn't know night managers at today's had made that, that kind of disposable income. When you live in Florida, you, you know, there's, all income is disposable, Dave. <laughs> True. Anything goes when it comes to Florida, man. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's, uh, let's see. What else? Hi, boys. How are we going? <laughs> Did I take it tonight didn't go well? No, they won. <laughs> oh, there they won. They won fast. No, uh, the the beauty of tonight was uh, the seventh, the sixth, and seventh grade games both ended early. Oh, okay. So the eighth grade game started early, but also went three sets, which is a nightmare uh, because they 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 choked in the first set. I think they were up what twenty three to 17 or something and lost 25 23 uh and then or 26 24 one of the two and then they won the second set and then they dominated the third oh, set. Some, some dogs on that team mm -hmm. kelsey, kelsey served six straight seven straight points at one point there you go so yeah it's uh it's a good night in the brendel household yeah right. nobody had nobody night tonight <laughs> what time's bedtime though? 8 30. Three, three minutes ago. 
<laughs> I thought you were going upstairs to take a shower 10 minutes ago. I took my makeup off. Now I'm putting my hair up. Okay. Well, you have a great shower. We're going to work. Yeah, what are you talking about? Jeez. Yeah, Dave was asking. So I told him. Good job. I know. Now go. Uh, take the puppy um, with me. I'm showering. Yeah, so. Why didn't you put my hair up? Does she know we're live? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She always knows. She doesn't care. She doesn't care. So, so what, have, what have you? What have I missed? What have you guys? What have you gentlemen talked about? Uh, we, uh, we, we, talked, we about talked about Brett Yormark's interview on the Marsh, Marsh Shannon Oran podcast today. So a little bit of dealt dove into a little conference realignment for a bit. Um, talked about what else did we talk about? Twitter polls and the whole like. Texas Tech one ranking the basketball venues today that I found amusing. I came in for that part. Um, yeah, I was, I was in the I was in the background for that part. I mean, that's pretty much it, isn't it, Aaron? That's that's where we've gotten so far. We we went a little deep in the rabbit hole on the uh, conference realignment, but as you two are want to do. Well, I said I have not been on the the realignment thread in over a week. Wow. So that's a lot for you. Well, yeah, I'll I mean, tag out though, and I'll, I'll let you guys I'll let you guys do what you do. Your conference realignment, uh, you know, expert, you should stay up to date on things. But I, I feel like it's time to take a bit of a sabbatical. <laughs> as long as conference realignment takes a sabbatical, yeah, it seems like it it is for the time being. Now, <laughs> you know. All right. Well, uh, do we have an idea what time our guest is coming? I'm, is I'm thinking just whenever he shows I'm up. I'm thinking he's, he made it sound like about an hour, so we'll we'll see. Okay. Um. So we got like 25, potentially 25 minutes to. Uh, yeah. To discuss. All right. So, well, I mean, I guess we can uh, we can do our timestamp there. Yep. Let's see. It's fun getting organized, like in the middle. In the moment, yes. Yeah, that's going to be your Turtles Brew timestamp. Brought to you by our friends at Turtles Brew. www.turtles with an s brew.com. Zero sugar, zero carbs, gluten free, six percent ABV, bourbon infused sweet tea, cherry lime, raspberry peach, orange vanilla. Fifty locations in Greater Cincinnati. All you got to go do is go to turtlesbrew.com. And uh, you can find out where it sells closest to you. A portion of the proceeds go to Save the Turtles. They are in Cincinnati and Toledo and now expanding in central Ohio. The Turtles or Turtles Brew? The Turtles Brew. I'm sure there are turtles uh, in central Ohio. Apparently now there's some huge beetles in Claremont County that are only in like three places in the whole country. Saw that on the news today. Yeah. What, do you, are you are you uh do you like bugs? Are you an anti-bug no, guy? I do. Who who likes bugs? No, I, not, I, I don't like, like no, I don't like bugs. I've also not seen any of these Asian whatever beetles that they're talking about. So they must be in a different part of Claremont County. They don't sting or like threaten. No, you they're just way. huge. Okay. Yeah. They're like Texas well, bugs. I don't think they do. I don't know. Okay. 
We are, Holy Grail, we are going to have some big news from the Holy Grail coming here soon. I'm excited about that. Well, in the intro, I did the intro, and I mentioned that you were going to be um, at the Holy Grail for the road games because I heard that on the radio, so I'm assuming it was true. Yes, it is true. <laughs> uh, we will be doing, again, uh, BCJ watch parties at the Holy Grail for every away game. So that is official. Everything's happening really fast right now, Dave. The Bearcat Journal is in high demand. High demand right now. Well, yeah. I'll you'll have to put you in touch with my assistant if you if you need to, yeah, get me in Will. on anything. Will yeah. get in touch yeah. with Will. Mm-hmm. Chat, 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 chat. Oh chat. my god. Today I was driving home talking to a friend and it was it was worse than he is with you. <laughs> so, but anyway, enough about that. Um, before Jeff joins us, hopefully, I did want to run through something with you, before, and we'll talk some camp stuff, obviously. But Bill Conley, ESPN, SP Plus, updated his I saw this his preseason, and I actually have a little handy dandy spreadsheet going on where I have taken. What is it? One, two, three, four, five. Ten data points. Looked at all the Big 12 teams. Obviously, some of the a lot of these are their rankings last year. And you know, and that's I'm not sure how valuable that is. I guess it's like a good jumping off point, but in the Big things, 12, it's apparently not valuable at all because the standings flip every year. Right. Um and then I updated it with the his most recent ones that came out. Um, but I, I was just kind of looking at like, well, how does everybody, how did everybody do last year? What are they projected to do this year? And how does UC stack up, you know, and, and things of that nature. But in his, I guess we'll call them his final preseason one, UC ended up being 53rd overall, uh, 75th offensively, 23rd defensively. So 70, 53rd overall it is kind of like right in the middle. And there's, what is it? One, two, like from 49 to 62, there's like five teams. So they have a. Well, that's a, not how 49 to 62 works. No, I mean, like there's in that space, teams. in that oh, space, okay. there's five Big 12 teams. That's not what you said. You said yes, there's five. That's exactly teams what between, I said. You didn't say Big 12. I mean, that's you just inferred. said there's five teams. That should have been, <laughs> it should have been inferred. <laughs> Who else would I be referring to? I, I'm just messing with you. So it goes back to the point of like we've said there's a lot of coin toss games, but you know, take Miami out of the equation. There's nothing this is such a deviation. It's from all right there, yeah. Past years, there is no one ranked lower than 60th or no 62nd in the entire on the entire schedule. Before it'd be like you'd be lucky if you got three teams on the schedule ranked in the top 60. Right. So you like, see, like the out of conference, whatever the power five out of conference opponent was, uh, whoever they played in the AAC championship game and typically UCF. Yeah. And that UCF was and maybe one other team if they were having like a good year. Yeah. So offensively, UC is third to last or no, second to last in the big 12. I, I don't think that, that's going to be true. I don't. Well, I'm getting to that. Iowa State is last, and they have taken a nosedive because of the gambling scandal. 
Um, I mean, quarterback, starting running back, best returning defensive lineman, like they're starting it's, tight it's, end. Like their three best players on offense are gone. So what? And I think why we're seeing like kind of you see where they're at, and I understand it is their returning pro- their returning production number is one twenty six. So I mean, bottom ten in the in the entire country. Based on based on returning production, so I see why that's where that especially offensively where that number is coming in. I do not like watching this team, knowing that the Big Twelve has good defenses, but not great defenses. You know, like they're going to play Kansas, one hundred three. They're going to play Houston, one hundred one. They're going to play West Virginia, eighty fourth. Uh. BYU, 70th. Like, these are, you know, Baylor, 52nd. You know, these aren't, um, this isn't a murderer's row of defenses. And watching the offense, I'm like, this offense could be better than that. I'm not saying they're going to be great. No. If this offense is 50th. Yeah. And the defense is top 25. This is a 6-7-8 win team, depending on the way the ball bounces. And that's kind of where I'm trending. And I feel better knowing that SP Plus now has, you see it at, what, six and a half? Um, Like win total? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was six point something overall, four point something in the conference. Right. So two wins non-conference, Miami and Eastern Kentucky. Uh, I think they have a chance to beat Pitt. That's a team that Satterfield knows extremely well. Um, is Pitt going to be good? Probably, yeah. I mean, they're probably going to be pretty is, solid. So, so I all these ten things. I then looked at how many of these rankings are the team over fifty in, which is basically average. We'll call it that yeah. average. Pitt, OU, and UCF are the only teams that were only over fifty in one category. Pitts was returning production. They're 108. I mean, they're losing their starting quarterback, transferred to um, – where did Phil Jakovic transfer to now? I can't even remember. He's, <laughs> he's on to like his third – he was at Boston College. Then he – no, he's at Pitt now. They lost Keaton Slovis to BYU, but I think they got right, a better, right, better right, right, yeah. But they lost Israel Banakanda, their great running back. They lost – Kalijah Canty on the defensive line. Like, they lost a lot of guys on the defensive line, but they are continuously restocking the D-line. Like, I think they'll still be good. It'll be it'll be interesting. UC's first road game, new staff, a lot of new guys on offense, see how that goes. But other than that, though, there was nobody with two over 50, nobody with three over 50. So it's like, after that, it's a lot of teams that out of 10 categories – we're middle of the road or worse in four or five. And then um, Miami and West Virginia were eight, you know, BYU, uh, BYU was seven. So, you know, I'm still, I'm still kind of the same place I was overall going into the season, but I feel like, you know, from what you guys have reported, from what I've seen, you know, I'm still in the same boat from a, just a pure win-loss standpoint, but I'm feeling more of like the losses should be very competitive games, and maybe you 
steal one that you shouldn't possibly something like that um you know defensively he he's got uc at 23 the you know iowa state's the only team on the schedule that he has ahead of them so you know in, and we'll in, see with that who knows who's well i mean that, that's that's accounting that's accounting for that stuff no 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 i mean that stuff's still unraveling I, I mean, I don't know if there's going to be more guys that. Web yet. I feel like they have they flushed out everybody that's going to be involved in that. Maybe we'll see. Um, but you know, so they're going to have the better defense. You know, theoretically on paper on August in 16th, every game but one. Who the hell knows, right? Um, but that's the thing in the game that they don't have. The better defense, according to Bill Connolly, they have the better offense. Right. So, you know, I'm still kind of, I mean, I haven't looked at it and truly gone like win, loss, win, but like I'm still kind of in that like five and seven range, but you could probably convince me of six and six somewhere. I'm six and six, and you could convince me of seven and five. It's kind of where I'm at right now. And it's hard to look at UC's numbers. Because, a the, so like, right? well, these are based on a totally different scheme. Like, a lot of these are based on last year. Like, I have yards per play, points per drive, tempo, like, stuff like that. That is based solely off of last year. And UC's going to be a totally different offense than last year. Right. So that's not, you know, but again, it's the same thing with SP+. Plus. Like, that's based off but, of last year and, and returning production. I'm going to ask you the critical question. Do you think this is a better offense, like scheme, yeah. than what they had last year? Of course year? I do. There was no right. scheme last year. Playing in, so, the a- playing in the AAC with two wide receivers that got drafted, two wide receivers in the tight end that got drafted in the first four rounds, it's pretty inexcusable that your offense was, was in the 70s. From a uh, SP plus standpoint, yeah, I agree. I, I don't. That I, is a, I don't that's a below. A, it's a below average offense with three NFL skill guys. <laughs> so, so, like, yeah. Do I think the offense can be better than last year? Yeah, I do. Even with <laughs> even with all the changes, even with moving up to um, a, a higher level of overall competition. Four if you count Lenny, five if you count Ben Bryant. Well, Lenny's in the NFL, but he didn't get drafted, and Ben Bryant is still in college. Like, I don't know how we can count them as NFL guys yet because one didn't get drafted and the other one didn't go to the draft. So, um I, I never liked that argument, GMAC, because they did use their tight ends proportionately to how yeah, you would percentage wise. To be used. Yeah. We just maybe we didn't use them in the most advantageous of ways. And like, that's I fair. Think, I think you could uh I think we could have a conversation about the way that they used, especially Josh. Um yeah. you know, for a team that yeah, you know, struggled at time on third down, struggled at time in the red zone. Like, I feel right. like they didn't they didn't utilize his talents to the best of the best way they could. But 
you know, it was a very inefficient offense. It was a very feast or famine offense. The running game was especially inefficient. And truly, it was inefficient the year Jerome Ford was here. The year they went to the playoff, it was an inefficient running game. It's just that Jerome Ford was able to hit every home run. Right. Like, when when he got a pitch down the middle, he hit that shit into the second deck. He just didn't get as many pitches down the middle as he probably So, did. is this offense more efficient? Is this offense, you know, better at continuing drives? Is it, you know, all the things that go into efficiency, we'll see. I mean, I've said for a long time, college football is all about quarterback and coach. So, I mean, pro football is a lot about that too. But I feel like you can, you know, we've seen several teams have very successful seasons with really good defenses um an average to you know better than average quarterbacks um but i think college it's quarterback and coach like emory jones is the uc will go as far as emory takes him because i think the scheme is good i mean we've i said this this stat several times but i mean someone might be hearing it for the first time i mean louisville's the only team in the country last four years to average 200 yards rushing and 200 yards passing like, I feel like Scott Satterfield will call the right plays. Now, do the players, can the players execute it? Yeah. Can, you know, can they stay healthy? I mean, I, I listened to your guys' marathon of a podcast Monday. It took me three days to listen to it. Um, but, like, yeah, I mean, the offensive line is still a big question. But to me, like, is Emory Jones an elevator of talent? Is he, or is he, does he need, this was always the Andy Dalton argument. Andy Dalton was great when everything around him was perfect. Was, was just right, yeah. Yeah, but if if guys aren't playing well or if guys get injured, is Emory the quarterback that is capable, that has the capability to elevate the guys around him? We'll find out. Um, I mean, you know, I think Keegan does bring up a good point. Is he more comfortable in this in this situation? Like, his situation hasn't really been that great the last several years. Right. Like, does, does, it, does it help him to be in this situation? But then I look at it as someone that kind of goes, you're in your sixth year. How much improvement is realistic to, to expect? Like, I kind of know what you are at this point, don't I? But here's the one thing I would say to that. I don't think we know what he is this year in relation to what Arizona State Certainly not based on last year. Certainly not. And he only had one full year of starting at Florida. And his numbers weren't he otherworldly. But he, he wasn't great. And he wasn't, he wasn't good the year Anthony Richardson took over. Um, but again, there was extent, there were a lot of things going on there with Dan Mullen, and, and who knows what. So I, I I get that part of it, but like, you know, Dan Mullen for all of his not really caring about recruiting, he can coach some damn offense just like Scott Satterfield can. Yeah. So where where was the you know was it his lack of recruiting that you know kind of canceled out his offensive abilities? You know, do they just not have very good players to compete in the SEC? 
the and truth is probably somewhere in the middle. And it didn't matter that he could scheme up a really good game. Like he just didn't have the dudes to week in and week out, get it done. And that's probably what ended up costing him his job. Um, but like Emery's got to be that dude. If they're going to have a successful season, he's got to be that guy. You know, yeah. and from what I've seen, like it's clear he's taken a big jump from the spring to now. I think, you know, two reasons, well, a lot of reasons. One, he's much more familiar with the offense. Two, they've got twice as many viable wide receivers that he had when he was throwing what he was throwing to in the spring. I mean, again, Jimmy's and Joe's. I mean, Scott can scheme up all the shit he wants. But if you're throwing to a bunch of walk-ons, you're throwing to a bunch of walk-ons. It's not going to matter. Right. If the guy's not open, it, it very rarely matters what the quarterback does if the guy's not open. So, I mean, I think the offensive line has some more reinforcements and has obviously just had more time to get better. So, you know, him taking the taking steps and progressing from what we saw in the spring to now is not surprising to me at all. But it's, okay, are we going to see that week in, week out in the games? You know, when you're on the road, when you've lost two games in a row and you just, you got to get one and it's two teams that are fairly even, like, is he the guy that can kind of, you know, elevate them and make sure that, that they get a W? Right. I'm with you. And and to me, like, again, I've talked about this a bunch. I'm sure in the next couple of weeks as we get closer to kickoff, I will talk about it more. For me, it comes down to two things, Dave. What is this offense able to do when – an opponent scores to go up, you know, 24-14. You know, it's a, it's a it's a 17-14 game. The opponent scores, goes up 24-14, gets a, a stop and a field goal, and it's 27-14. Does this offense have the guts, the ability to march down the field, get a touchdown, and put themselves back in the game? Because if they don't, 27-14 becomes 34-14. And then, you know, things are things are steamrolling downhill the wrong way. Right. Um, so I, I think that's an important piece of like Emory Jones. Is, is he the guy that says, look, yeah, we're down 27-14, but uh, this is a, a league that scores a lot of points, and we're going to be a team that does that. Yeah. And he marches down the field and he makes it, you know, a one score game, a six point game or whatever. And they're right back in it. Um, the other thing for me is the fourth quarter in this league. You have to put points on the, you're not going to be able, if you're up, you know, 31, 28, you can't rely on like you could in the American. You can't rely on your defense just hanging on. No, you've got to make it 37, 28 or like, that's why, that's why I'm, I mean, I'm just so interested to see how Scott Satterfield schemes in game situations with this team. I mean, obviously we can go back and watch Louisville tape and probably be very similar with with Malik Cunningham and, and receivers and running backs. And it's going to look similar, but like how, like, how, is that worth how, anything, and how many points is it worth? Because, like, I mean, perfect example 
and I'm not trying to bash him, and but like last year, you go into SMU against a team that has a terrible defense in a game that is incredibly windy, and we just come out chucking the ball, the, basically the entire first quarter. Yeah, and I'm like, kind of like, who who drew up? Like, what is going on? Like, it just it never felt cohesive to me. It never felt like they had a clear and definitive idea of who they wanted to be and what they wanted to do. I agree. And, you know, wins and I think sometimes you can want to be too multiple, right? Like, I, I thought they had this desire to be a little, like, a yeah, little we, bit, want, a little bit we, want to, we want to be a running team, but we want to use these fast guys. And then we got these tight ends. We want to use, like, you can't, you can't please all masters. Like, until you're really good at one, like you weren't good at, you weren't really good at one thing. Like get really good at one thing first. And, and then, then the other stuff works off of that and one And then thing. see how you can build off that. Right. Like, right. Until you can be like, you, like, I feel like, you know, at a level that they're at, like, if you can't run the ball, then, then none of that other stuff is going to work. Right. I mean, the, what, you the can't East play action the tight ends. Like the the middle's not open. The you ECU can't get guys game, down the seam. The ECU game last year, what it was like three seventy five yard touchdowns and two field goals. Right. I'll let you. I'll let you dig into this one, Dave. Will Brady, Mac, as always. G-Mac. Um, Will Brady Drogosh fit well in the Satterfield scheme after Jones is gone? Only seen snippets of him throwing on Insta. You've seen him in two practices. What do you think? Uh, hold on, I'm texting um, or guest. Okay. Uh, let's see. What? But uh, yes, I've. Uh, Seen him, and I would I would say he fits quite well. He uh, he has what you would like to refer to as a laser rocket arm. <laughs> he he threw a ball last fr- last Friday along the sideline, probably like thirty yard touchdown that was just on a rope over the corner and before the safety could come over. He obviously has the wheels. He ran, you know, a 99-yard touchdown, you know, against probably some combination of twos and threes. I wasn't keeping track of each player on the defense, but he's also out there with twos and threes on the offensive line and and at wide receiver blocking for him. Um you know, assume you know, and I don't want to sell Brady Lichtenberg short either. I think he's taken big steps. You've seen him every, you've seen him every day, like from last year to this year. I think he's progressed really well. He throws a great ball. Um, he certainly put in the work. Um, to G Max, further question. Right now, he is absolutely a dual threat. He's not a, he's not pocket passer. I mean, he's not polished enough for me to. To make that assessment, right? Got a, I'd agree there. He's got a ways to go if you just want to have him sit back there and read defenses and pick guys apart. But he's, I mean, he's an early enrollee. He might, I mean, shit, he might not even be 18 years old for all I know. So, uh, I'm, I don't, I'm not going to weigh in on that one way or the other. I don't want to, you know, say something that 
sounds dumb. But I think all the quarterbacks have been it's 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 felt um I'm not saying they're going to go in and win a game on the road in conference but it has certainly felt like they are advancing and capable of continuing that advancement and and having a strong room next year with Brady and Brady and Samaj and you know, I don't know if you look at another transfer. Probably not. But um, quarterback depth is, you know, something that you can never have too many of. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. Like, it'll it'll tell us how they feel about Lichty. Uh, like when they like when they go into this offseason. like if they br- maybe bring in a grad transfer to be the backup, or if they feel like Drogosh is is ready. If he's ready to be the bat, like, I think you go into, and this is, I hate doing this because it's so far away. I think you go into next spring with Lichtenberg as your penciled in, this will be the guy, and can he get beat out, right? And then you go from there. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, we're still a hot minute away from from that. Yeah, I hate that, like, that, we'll, we'll get into that after, after, Dave. Yes. We do our team ticker Big 12 deep dive of the week. And uh, that is brought to you, as always, by our good friends at Team Ticker. You can see the C-Paw right here. Aaron, if you can pop on and show them the Bearcat, that would be great. It's a -a one-of-a-kind sports sign for Bearcats fan. It's a high-tech retro display that provides daily updates of the latest news, stats, schedules, betting odds, and much more. No subscription required. If you're looking for the perfect addition to your man cave, that special gift for a Bearcat fan on their birthday, if you're looking for something to put in the dorm room of your favorite Bearcat fan or the apartment on campus of your favorite Bearcat fan, go to teamticker.com, pick up your team ticker today. They're officially licensed to the Collegiate License Company and manufactured right here in Ohio. They're fantastic. There's the Bearcat. You can see on Aaron's screen. You're throwing me off here. I was getting ready with the Turtles Brew timestamps. I don't don't know what we're doing anymore. Big 12 section. That's all. Big 12 segment. It's always team ticker. Are we not timestamping? I don't know. I thought we did that first, and then we did the the team ticker. (laughs) Too many people paying for too many things. I'll get less sponsors and I'll start that's, paying you less money. How's that? That's like too much make, content. I don't think I make a dollar more here either way. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right. Let's bring in our guest, Jeff Hansen. Jeff, how you doing, brother? Doing well, guys. Man, I just checked out teamchicker.com. I, I got to see if there's a BYU logo there. Those are dope. Not yet, but they are starting. The expansion is beginning. That's fantastic. Um, started by two UC alums. Uh, and like I said, they're paired with the collegiate licensing company. Um, so they are, I think they've got two, their first two schools outside of UC are actually on the way. Awesome. These things go for like seven minutes. That's like, cool. it gives you seven minutes of information just running constantly yeah. in your man cave. They're really cool. That's cool. That's cool stuff. How you doing guys? Awesome. Good, good. Give us your, give us your, like, where can everybody find you? Give everybody the website before we get going. Let's do the, uh, the same. Uh, yeah, let's do all that. My uh, puppy's ready to hear it. 
<laughs> on Twitter, uh, Rakutu10 on Twitter, R-A-K-O-T-O-1-0. And then uh, check out our stuff over at CougarSportsInsider.com. We also run the Give Em Hell Brigham podcast as well, anywhere that podcasts are found. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on. We are obviously fast approaching the season. We've, we've touched base with uh, every team, every Big 12 team on UC's schedule minus Central Florida because we have no interest in talking to them about Fair their enough. football team. Um, but just like UC coming over BYU to the Big 12 for the first year, I almost always start at quarterback. Keaton Slovis transfers in from Pitt. I guess the question is for you, how does he fit what BYU wants to do offensively? And just kind of like, what have you seen? What have you heard as far as how his progression has gone now that we are, you know, three weeks away from the start of the, of the season? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, his skill set fits in really well with what BYU does offensively. I mean, for 40 years, right? That's a team that likes to sit back and throw the ball, and Keaton Slovis can throw the ball as well as anybody. Even when he was at Pitt and his stats weren't fantastic, you watch the way that he plays, uh, he, he can throw the ball. So there's no question about that. I think he fits in schematically. The question has always been with Slovis, like, who is he, right? Is he that true freshman at USC, or is this Pitt story more of what he looks like and who he really is as a quarterback? Uh, BYU fans have heard this ad nauseum, but there's a lot of optimism that he is closer to that freshman at USC. Here's the thing about Keaton Slovis. When, when he committed to USC, he actually committed to Cliff Kingsbury, and then we all know what happened. He, he goes to the NFL. It ends up being Graham Harrell that he plays for. So he didn't get to play for the coordinator that he committed to, but fortunately they ran the same offense. 2021 comes, Clay Helton gets fired. It's a goofy year for him all along. It, it just doesn't work out. 2020, I guess, is there in the middle, and it's a COVID year. He plays in California, so it's goofy for everybody, especially goofy for those playing in California. Then 2021 comes and rolls around, and, and his coach gets fired midway through the season. When he hits the transfer portal, he committed uh, to Pitt early, but his offensive coordinator left and, and ended up going to, to Nebraska. And the guy that they bring in at Pitt likes to run the ball. Jordan Addison also left. This will be the first time, all that background is to say, that this is the first time that Keaton Slovis has committed to an offensive coordinator that he's actually going to play for. This is the first time he's been able to pick the offense that he gets to come in and play for. You know, he looked at all of those options when he hit the transfer portal the second time. And he said, no, I, I want to be in an air raid offense. I want to be with a guy who I know is going to be there when the season actually rolls around. And he finally gets that with BYU. What, what I've heard a lot of is he's comfortable and he looks more comfortable than he ever did at Pitt. He talks about it, that he's comfortable. I don't know if BYU has the talent that maybe Pitt had. I am certain they don't have the raw talent that he had at USC. But from a comfortability standpoint, Keaton Slovis, he'll, he'll be the first one to tell you he feels better at BYU than he has at any of these other stops along the way. So kind of coinciding with that, like he is, I'll say statuesque in, in a nice way. Like he's literally just going to sit back there and, and throw the ball. So taking that into account, the offensive line brings back Stud left tackle, Kingsley, you say it because I have no yeah. idea. Tuamataia, yeah. That's what I thought, but I know I would butcher it. So they bring him back, but they lose Blake Freeland to the draft. 
They lose the Barrington Twins to transfer to Baylor. What should we expect out of that group in 2023? And kind of how does Slovis's purely, you know, purely pocket presence, not going to be a run, not a mobile guy, not going to run around. How do kind of those departures and everything kind of mesh with, with what he wants to be and kind of where do you see them this year? Yeah, I, I think that be, even with the departures of a Blake Freeland, the Barrington brothers, those are great players. BYU's offensive line, I think, is positioned to be better this year. I think they have more talent. Now, how quickly does the chemistry come together? That That is the question, right? And sometimes that takes weeks. Sometimes they can figure that out in fall camp. That's really the question mark. But they they lose the Barrington brothers. They they bring in a guy like Caleb Etienne, who started at left tackle for, for 13 games at Oklahoma State last year. Uh, they bring in Paul Miley, who started at Utah at center, uh, during their back-to-back Pac-12 championship runs, right? I mean, so they they added a, a ton of talent as well. They still have a guy like Connor Pay on the offensive line, who who I think is an NFL talent on the interior of the offensive line as well. So the offensive line, frankly, I think is the the position group on, on all of BYU's roster, offense or defense, that BYU is the most confident in. So I think they'll be able to protect the quarterback. And Aaron Roderick likes to move the quarterback. I don't know that he's going to call designed runs, but Slovis is athletic enough that if you move that pocket for him, he can move, he can throw on the run, he can do those things. And I think you're going to see a ton of that from BYU. And Slovis can throw on the run. I mean, he's accurate when he's on the move. Don't ask him to escape from anybody. Don't ask him to go and you know tuck and gain a first down. But if you ask him to move and find a receiver and hit him in stride while he's you know running a bootleg to, to either direction, he, he can do that. And so I think that you're going to see a lot of that from BYU. Uh, and they're going to rely more on their running backs than they did with Jaron Hall at quarterback where you know they could run a lot of read option mm-hmm. and, and Jaron Hall could take off and run. Slovis can't do that, so they went and they added Aiden Robbins. Uh, he's a 1,000-yard rusher at UNLV last year. Nobody's Derrick Henry. I, I want to make that perfectly clear. We are not comparing him to Derrick Henry. <laughs> but when a guy's 6'3", 245 pounds playing the running back position, I don't know who else to compare him to that's built in that size. Uh, and that, that's who Aiden Robbins is. He's productive. They added Colorado's leading rusher from a year ago. So I think they're going to rely a lot more heavily on their running backs than they did uh, and then move that pocket around for Slovis. Robbins was kind of my next guy to talk about impact transfer from UNLV. You mentioned that. So we'll just go to, I was going to say, you know, he's probably going to be a focal point. Wide receiver seems kind of thin um, to to an outsider. Who are, uh, who are you guys looking at to kind of, if you're going to be an area offense, you're going to need wide receivers. Like where is the firepower on the outside going to come from? Yeah. The wide receiver group's interesting because they lost Puka Nakua to the NFL. Who's doing great things with the Rams right now. Uh, He was the unquestioned wide receiver one a year ago. I think BYU has five, six, maybe seven guys that they feel pretty good about, but none of them are wide receiver ones. They are all, uh, you know, that backup secondary option. So that's one of the bigger question marks that BYU fans have as well is, is somebody going to step up and maybe play outside of their shoes a little bit, maybe grow into a different role or does BYU have a bunch of second options and they're going to have to figure out how to make that work? Uh, I like the depth in terms of uh, there's six or seven bodies who can fill that wide receiver two role, 
but you really wish you had that one guy that you can look to on every third and six when you need a big play. And I just don't know that BYU has that guy on the roster today. Flipping over to the defensive side of the ball, new defensive coordinator, Jay Hill comes over from Utah. How will the defense be different? Schemat, we'll get into how it was not just was not good last year, but just how will it be different from BYU defenses of the last couple of years with the new defensive coordinator? Yeah, I mean, we'll see what the results are at the end of the day, but Jay Hill, uh, I, I watched him a lot when he was at Utah. I've watched him a lot when he was a head coach at Weber State. He may go down, but he's going to go down swinging. He, he's not going to sit back on their heels, drop eight into coverage on every play, and, and you know lose you know, death by a thousand paper cuts. And that's what BYU has been for the last couple of years. I don't know how the defense is going to do. I don't know if they're going to be materially better or not. I mean, the talent is largely the same. I think they've added talent, but they lost some talent as well. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out. But schematically, philosophically, uh, BYU is going to be more aggressive. And if they're going to go down, they're going to go down swinging, uh, which is just a a, a, cata- a huge, just a, a seismic shift in philosophy from where BYU was last year. Understanding that where, I mean, again, it's probably multiple places, but where do you think the biggest gains need to be made on the defensive side of the ball for them to go from where they were last year to just like, can we just be average and hopefully right. our offense, our offense can kind of like carry us in, in some games and along those lines. Yeah. I mean, it really is all phases. You guys understand this. It's every, every phase and every level of the defense has to get better. They got to get better in the trenches. And I think that's where it starts. And it's more than just the defensive linemen getting better, but they've got to have better gap integrity for linebackers to come up and fit into gaps. And they just weren't doing that. The defensive linemen we're getting pushed around. And so you saw linebackers who had to either play back because the secondary wasn't covering well enough, or they would have to go in and maybe fit multiple gaps because the, the defensive lineman got blown off of their spot. So the defensive linemen, they've got to get better. They've got to be able to be a little bit more, have a little bit more gap integrity. And then those linebackers have to fit those gaps a whole lot better than they did. And it comes down to tackling. I mean, it's almost embarrassing, but BYU had to go through what they termed as tackling school midway through the season last year. And it's like, this, this is a college football program. What in the world are you going to tackling school for in October? That's crazy. So they got to get better with the fundamentals, but I, I think it starts up front. But man, I mean, it's it's everybody on that roster. They've just got to get back to what got them to the college level. They got to remember those fundamentals and that technique. And I think they can be average. I mean, I think you, you kind of hit it on the head. I, I think average is what their goal is. I, I don't know if they're going to get there. I think they'll be better than they were a year ago for sure. But man, that's a really low bar to clear. We'll, we'll see how, how right. good they get. Yeah, how much? Yeah, how much better is is the is the key there? Um, you mentioned some of the transfers offensively. I know it can be difficult in the portal from BYU standpoint. Did they were they able to bring in anybody defensively that could help with that improvement? Kind of supplant some of the guys coming back who, you know, returning production, yeah. or returning players doesn't automatically mean better players. So are you know, they're are there guys that they were able to bring in that you think could help? There there were. There were a bunch. They added uh, four-star linebacker Harrison Taggart from Oregon, uh, Utah State linebacker A.J. Vongfachon. He was the their leading tackler for a couple of years. 
so he he's I, I think really productive and I think he fits in immediately as a starter. Uh, they've added a couple of FCS players. Eddie Heckard ended up being a four-star on 24-7 Sports. He was an FCS All-American. He followed Jay Hill to BYU. He hasn't done it at the FBS level yet, but he, I mean, he was getting NFL attention. He had offers, you know, from big schools like UCLA, USC coming out of Weber State. That's a guy that BYU was really high on as well. So they got they got guys who were there, but they they had to take some you know guesses right a little bit of okay. You hope an FCS player talented. You hope that that translates and translates quickly. Will it? I don't know. But if it does, then I think BYU has hit a home run. They've got a couple of players there who who are going to be really good. They're they're going to rely heavily on the transfer portal guys. They added uh, the I guess the turnover in total. There was about 35 guys who were on the defensive side of the ball that are no longer there. So Holy, that's graduation. Just from last year? Just from last year. They, oh, they, they, weren't, they weren't Colorado, but they weren't far off from Colorado. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, how quickly do those guys assimilate and get comfortable in the program? That's all up in the air. But the talent, I think, is there, and the coaches are there. In fact, Kalani Satake kind of talked about it, that he was asked, like, hey, how do you get all of this stuff to mesh? And he said, you know what? It is a problem. We're going to have to figure it out. But fortunately, the guys that we're trying to get to mesh together, they're all really big and can run really fast. And so if you've got that, I mean, that's the big part of the equation. Now they just got to tinker and fine tune until they get that combination yeah. just right. So coming into the Big 12 for the first Real quick, oh, sorry. Sorry. to put that in perspective, we think Cincinnati had a ton of turnover, a ton. They have 33 new guys on the entire roster. Yeah. 23 transfers, 10 freshmen. So to have 35 or new guys on defense is like, that's almost the entire defense. It's a ton. Yeah. And it's a combination of walk-ons and scholarship, but it's a ton, right? Sure. I mean, it's a ton of new bodies in that locker room. Uh, in addition to a new coaching staff. Yeah. It's a lot. Sorry, Dave. Oh, no problem. Um, so, BYU coming in first year in the Big 12. I'm not sure who you guys angered, but they surely didn't give you a very friendly schedule. You're going to Arkansas for a non-conference game, and then you got you got to play at TCU, at Texas, Oklahoma, and Texas Tech at home. Not not exactly the the funnest slate. What are kind of the expectations inside the program? Expectations in the fan base? Understanding that BYU has played a power five level schedule for a long time. But I think, you know, the people that follow it know it's, it's been a lot of the good teams at the first half of the year. And then a lot of mountain West FCS mm -hmm. stuff at the back half of the year. So how are they, how are expectations knowing now that we're playing, you know, 10 major games out of our 12? Yeah, it's different, right? Uh, I think internally and externally expectations are largely aligned, which is kind of surprising uh, BYU fans are hoping to get to a bowl. I mean, that's the goal this year. And that's weird for a BYU fan to say that we're BYU fans think they're going to win 10 games every year, but going into the big 12, six and six, if, if BYU gets to six and six and has a chance at that seventh win, I don't think you're going to hear anybody in Provo complain. I think everybody's going to be pretty thrilled with that result. There are some people who are pretty optimistic that the talent will gel and come together really quickly and maybe they can get to eight wins. There are other people who are worried about how quickly that chemistry comes together, and they're looking at four wins, right? And, and so you, that's kind of where it is. It's a very mediocre record at the end of the year, no matter how you spin it, whether it's four and eight or eight and four.
However, I mean, there's a, a story to tell there that if BYU can get to eight wins, awesome. I mean, that's huge. You can build off of that. Uh, but I think everybody's realistic expectations, it's right there. It's, it's bowl eligibility. That's the goal. I think BYU has the talent to do it. I don't know that they have the depth to do it. So if the injury gods can favor them a little bit, I think they get there. If if they lose a quarterback, right? If Keaton Slovis goes down, I mean, it, it, it changes the dynamics of the season almost immediately. Uh, the Cougars, they're ready at, I think, some position groups, probably half of their position groups, they can they have depth. They can withstand a few injuries. But then there's that other half that you're really just kind of crossing your fingers going into this first year in the Big 12. So my, I think probably my last question, and, we'll, we'll, and then we'll see if Chad's got any for you, but how much gloating are BYU, fan, BYU fans doing now that they've saved Utah's program <laughs> And, you know, been so generous to let them come into the Big 12 and not just drift off to the ether uh, with the rest of the pack, whatever we're calling it now. Yeah, the gloating will come. I'm sure there is a day for the gloating, but I think most BYU fans are still pretty pissed off that we helped Utah get into the conference. (laughs) There there wasn't a whole lot of desire from most people that I know uh, to bring Utah in. Uh, they were kind of hoping that they would be one of those Pac-4 schools that's just sort of wandering in in, in, in <laughs> wilderness right now with nowhere to go. Uh, so the gloating will definitely come. Believe you me, BYU fans, Utah fans, neither has ever missed an opportunity to hold something over the other's head. Uh, but right now, yeah, BYU fans are still pretty pissed off that it happened. So the, the whole, you know, the game itself, it, you know, or do you think it's, how, like it's already a, one of the biggest and best, you know, in my opinion, rivals rivalry games in the country. How much more does that now just get ratcheted up that they are going to be conference foes? It's huge. It, it kind of gets back to its roots, right? I mean, the two were in the, the same conference for 120 years. And so this last decade has been a little bit goofy, uh, but it's kind of created this toxicity in the rivalry that every good rivalry has. Uh, but because they weren't playing every year, because the stakes were different, uh, a lot of other little storylines kind of entered the rivalry of, you know, who's the big brother, power five versus independent, all of these other things that really just made that hate, just amplified it like 10 times. And so now that they're back on the same stage, playing in the same conference, uh, I don't think that hate's going to go back down to where it was before the last 10, 12 years. So now it's those same stakes of, hey, there could potentially be college uh, college football playoff spots on the line or Big 12 championships on the line down the road. So the stakes will be raised, but, man, the hate the hate's not going to go back down to anything. It, it's going to continue. Uh, people outside of Utah, I mean, there's a lot of rivalries, right? Ohio State and Michigan, they sure hate each other. There's a lot of rivalries. It's a little different. I mean, it is a 24-7 way of life to just hate BYU and Utah uh, and it goes well beyond the field. It goes, you know, into into families, into religion, into all sorts of things. It, it's a it's a lot of hate, and it's it's a lot of fun to be a part of. Well, I I love it. I'm always good for some some good sports. Hate, he loves so. hate. He loves hate. He's a big yeah. hate guy. But uh, <laughs> actually, I do have one more. I mean, UC has been a conference, you know, vagabond, so to speak. I mean, we've probably been in more conferences than any than anybody in the country that's trying to compete at the highest levels. You guys, on the other hand, have been independent for a long time. What has, what is just being in a conference, you know, done for the athletic programs? Was it something that everybody was 
very excited about when it's when you know when it started happening a couple of years ago were there people that still valued the independence similar to how Notre Dame values theirs or right or was everybody just like this is finally the time like we have to join up with these other teams we have to take advantage of the resources that that will allow us yeah I, I mean y'all get it right you guys were part of the big east and then you were kicked out of the club and unfair as it was it happened and you just want to get back into the club that was always the difference. I think BYU loved independence. Fans didn't always love independence because despite all the claims and the hope that you would be like Notre Dame and treated like Notre Dame, we weren't, right? I mean, we were an independent that was more of a G5 independent than a mm -hmm. P5 independent. And so as soon as the Big 12 came calling, I mean, everybody stopped trying to convince themselves that independence was actually pretty fun. And they got into a conference and they're like, oh, yeah, this is absolutely where we belong. Uh, I, I was down in Provo just a couple of weeks ago for, for like a big 12 party, kind of a, an event thing that they hosted. And uh, dude, it's tangible. I mean, it is different down there in pro. Everybody's excited this time of year for football, but you can almost chew through it. I mean, there is a real tangible excitement uh, throughout the entire athletic department. So it's fun. So I think by and large, to answer your question, everybody's pumped about, uh, about being part of the big 12. I don't think there was ever an appetite to, you know, go to the Mountain West Conference or even to the American just for in the name of being in a conference. But being in a Power Five conference totally changes the equation, and, and BYU fans are thrilled. But believe we us, Jeff, be we, were in, we were in the American, and there was no <laughs> appetite for the American. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> so Cincinnati released a beer uh, on July first to mark the. Uh, the entrance into the the Big Twelve. What's the BYU equivalent? Oh man, uh, I mean, I don't know if there is a BYU equivalent for a beer. I mean, maybe a maybe, maybe like a different donut. I don't know. Like they're just not really, really that in parallel. BYU did have a pretty big party. They did a big event. I know that they've uh, they they've done some things on campus to kind of memorialize the Big Twelve. Uh, but certainly not anything as entertaining as, as having a new beer that you can you know rely on every day. You got to be on campus a, to take advantage. It's so a great beer too. We, oh, it's so good. It's we so put good. we played out at BYU. The glorious or had a nice series in the glorious Tommy Tuberville years. So <laughs> some some UC fans have been there already. But kind of give us an idea of game day atmosphere, tail you know, tailgating where people should you know because we're going there in a, in a couple yeah. months. You know, what are some of the must must do's, uh, must check outs for our fans? Yeah, it, it's a different environment, right? I mean, BYU is a unique place. If you're looking for that SEC level tailgating, uh, you're going to hate BYU. It's just not going to be there. <laughs> but having said that, I mean, BYU recognizes that it's unique. They recognize that it's different. The fans are different. You know, the belief systems of most BYU fans are different. Uh, and they lean into that. So it's more of a, a carnival for like a family almost when you're there. And that's the tailgating scene. They'll have live music. They'll have rides. They'll have things like that. They'll have all the food. Uh, and then also, I mean, just leaning into the environment that that is Utah County, that is Provo. Uh, it's some of the best country. I mean, it really is. It's, it's God's country, right? It's beautiful. Give yourself an extra few hours. Go for a drive up Provo Canyon. And, and it's it's a totally different college football experience, right? It is definitely not the same as, as going into, you know, DKR and playing at Austin. Uh, but if you, you kind of embrace the difference and don't expect it to, to be like an SEC experience, you can have a heck of a lot of fun in Provo. There's a lot to do. 
So, so here's where I'm most interested. This is the answer I'm most interested in. Cincinnati plays Oklahoma. It is going to be their inaugural Big 12 game. Mm -hmm. Hugely emotional experience. And then they fly out Friday night, Friday night game at BYU. Yeah. Brutal. How difficult is the acclimation, the physicality, just what is Cincinnati in for having to do that short week coming off a one of the most Oklahoma and Nippert Stadium. Yeah. That's Phew. like yeah. brain busting. Sorry, yeah. I hiccups. Brain busting <laughs> stuff. But like what what are they in for? Well, they've talked about it, right? That the the Big 12 scheduling gods, they didn't do BYU very many favors. I mean, it's a tough schedule from game one to game 12. Uh, I I think Cincinnati, I don't know what you guys did for that week five matchup, but that is a brutal, because I agree with you, Chad. I mean, that emotions of that Oklahoma game, like that's huge. First Big 12, it's huge. And then to travel across the country for what, I I don't know if they've announced it as a a night game yet, but if it's not, it's going to be an eight o'clock local time kickoff. It's a late well, it's a night Friday game. Yeah, it has a, to be a night game. It's gonna, 10, yeah, yeah ten fifteen our time. Okay, yeah, it's gonna be a late night kick. Uh, I, I look at the, maybe the best way to describe it is is BYU did a home and home with Baylor, and in twenty twenty one they went out to Waco and they got pummeled. I mean, Baylor was the better better team in every sense of the word and just about at every position. And then that Baylor team that came to Provo, I mean, it wasn't the same Baylor team, but it was a pretty talented Baylor team. There were a lot of similarities. The Baylor coaching staff, a lot of them on the offensive side of the ball came from BYU. So there was a lot of reason to feel like Baylor should come in and dominate. They were favored. They were ranked. And BYU got the best of them. And it was just an electric environment. It's loud. The altitude, it it doesn't seem like a big deal in the first half. But when BYU puts together a 10-12 play drive, those defenders that you're already tired because it's 10 plays, you're really tired after 10 plays at altitude. Uh, It it is a crazy environment, uh, and it's uh, Keaton Slovis, now the quarterback, right? Keaton Slovis talked about it in, in 2019. He came to Lavelle Edwards Stadium when he was quarterback at USC, and he said it was the weirdest thing that he's ever seen because everybody was so loud. It was one of the loudest places that he's ever played. And it dawned on him midway through the third quarter that these guys were loud and sober. Like this was just loud to be loud for being loud sake. Uh, it's loud. It's crazy. It, it's one of, I think one of the more underrated environments in all of college football. It, it's 65,000 strong. It will be a sellout uh, and it will be one of the more fun environments. Uh, I think that Cincinnati plays in this year. It will be really, really awesome. Well, I, we appreciate it. We love having, it's, you know, I say it every week. It's, a joy to be able to reach out to people that actually care about football and cover <laughs> football and, and get a, get a fairly quick response of like, yeah, heck yeah. I'd love to come on and talk. So we appreciate it, Jeff. Tell everybody again, if they jumped on late, where they can find you on Twitter, where they can find you on two, four, seven. Yeah. Check us out on 24, seven Cougar sports insider.com. And, and probably the best way to find us is just to check out our podcast. It's the give them hell, Brigham podcast uh, anywhere that you can find a podcast. And if we get one of these team tickers for BYU, I'll let them know. Yeah. They'll sponsor your podcast and they'll send you one. Done and done, man. Those are slick. And look, 
BYU, like that, the, the, you could, they could sell a ton of these things. Uh, they I could, and I've got, I can find a spot up here somewhere, I'm sure. So I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready I need to know where he got the BYU WWE belt because I'm going to need, I need to, to get one. Of, <laughs> get one yeah, of that's a, there, there's a BYU fan who makes some of those. It's, it's kind of a cool thing. I mean, I'll give you more details than you, you care for. He's a cancer survivor and he, he, uh, was at the cancer hospital and he decided like, Hey, I want to do something for the kids who they beat cancer. So he started making these title belts that's and it awesome. took off here locally. Now he just does it for sports teams. He does it for everything, but that's kind of its root is uh, just helping kids who beat cancer, giving them something to excite uh, to, to be excited about as they're walking out of the hospital. You've got the BYU woodworking uh, in the back there too. Yeah. But uh, more BYU fans look at the, yeah, that's slick. I like that. I like the burned wood too. That looks good. My brother did that. So if you want one for your website, let me know. I got you. Yeah, that's awesome. That's pretty. I haven't. I got to get it hung up. I haven't got it hung up yet. That's you. That's (laughs) I I do. I like the that that wood burn is that looks good, man. Yeah. All right. Well, all right, man. Well, appreciate you coming (laughs) on, and uh, you know, probably you know, reach back out to you as the season goes on, and see if we can get you back on to to preview the game when it comes around. All right, anytime, guys. Just let me know. Thanks, Thanks, Jeff. Awesome stuff, man. We'll see ya. All right, there you go. So that is our look at BYU, and that is a Turtles Brew timestamp. There you go, Aaron. 6% 6% ABV, zero sugar, zero carbs, gluten-free, bourbon-infused sweet tea, cherry lime, raspberry peach, orange vanilla. They have 50 locations in greater Cincinnati, the, over 50 locations in greater Cincinnati. Visit www.turtlesbrew.com for more information and location. A portion of the proceeds go to Save the Sea Turtles. They are uh, in Cincinnati and Toledo and expanding now in central Ohio. So, Dave, we've... We, we've run the gauntlet of everyone that, but uh, Orlando Technical Institute. That will conclude our Big 12 uh, previews because next week we have Anthony DeFino joining us, and then the week after is the season preview show. So we have, yeah. we've, we've hit them all. How do you feel after talking to everyone in the Big 12 except for the Knights of Gold? Uh, do you feel like – That we play. Yeah. Yeah, that, that UC plays. And we yes. got a couple of the teams that they didn't. Well, we talked about Texas just because we needed to talk about somebody, I think, one week. Yeah, did you see this, what happened during the show? No, I haven't looked at my they, phone. The, the UC football account tweeted the Wired Wednesday video from Tanner Mordecai. <laughs> I think I think Shark might have logged in on the wrong account. <laughs> <laughs> well... Was he, was he, did he have the jitters and throwing the ball in the ground? Uh, look, man, maybe I'm crazy, but if I'm Luke Fickle and I watch that guy play my team three times, there is no fucking way I would have two, ever two times, brought him, two, times. two times. There's yeah. no way I would have ever brought him to play for me the way he played against my defense. No chance. No fucking chance. Sir. Yeah. That's, that was an interesting one to me. I'll just I'll leave it at that. That's the first thing I thought when I saw it. I was like, "You got firsthand knowledge of what you were able to do to him," and you know, he remembers, right? I don't know. I 
I don't know. We were um, we were talking about that a little bit today at practice because um, you know the the great Justin Williams graced us with our presence, his presence today. Yeah. Um, and we were talking like we were talking about the uh, the the situation in Wisconsin. And the feeling was that they were like really hyped up to get Tanner Mordecai. And I'm like, we watched the same games, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, I think he can be, I mean, I think he can be a good quarterback, but like you saw it against the best defenses. It's just, you know, maybe right. they got a like, lot of be- lot better players around and who knows, but yeah. This I don't know. I just look at it like this, Dave. They, when they win against the top 10 defense and guess what? In the big 10, you're going to play a lot of really good defenses. The guy was yeah. trash. You are. And I, I don't know. Why don't we? Uh, why don't we get another ad read in, Dave? Because you know, that's what we do here now. Is we talk sports and we read ads. Apparently, Home Field Apparel, our newest sponsor for this football season. There you see the Cincinnati collection. I've got most of these. I hate. I hate to admit it. Uh, I don't know where that cow one came from. But uh, the joggers are great. We've talked about the hoodies a million times. You see me in that Bearcats baseball t-shirt all the time. You see me in the Great Midwest t-shirt all the time. Uh, that The Cats hoodie is phenomenal. And uh, this one right here, that's my favorite. That's, well, that's the, a, that's the most comfortable one. hoodie I've ever owned in my entire life. Uh, <clears throat> go to homefieldapparel.com. And what you need to do is enter BCJ23 at checkout, and that will get you 15% off of your order. They have a dedication to delving into the archives uh, and history of each school. They discover unique logos, mascots, iconic moments. They emphasize the authenticity and nostalgia of their designs. Perfect for showing off team pride as college football is getting ready to return. Homefieldapparel.com. It's a wide selection. They've done two massive releases uh, for the uh, for for the Bearcats. Uh, the quarter zip is is outstanding. It's uh, it's great, great, great quality stuff. So BCJ twenty three at checkout, fifteen percent off, and get yourself ready for football season. All right, you wanna you wanna hit a little camp? Well, it's um. While we did the interview with Jeff, we got some some comments coming in. We need to probably go back through and acknowledge and shout out talk. Thank you for the four ninety nine donation. Appreciate it. Uh, says crushing the content game. All the interviews during the huge transition period have been essential for fans to get to know the team. I agree, man. Like I'm learning. This is a learning stage for us too. Like if I'm going to talk about the games on Sunday mornings, and we're going to try to be educated that's one of my biggest pet peeves is when people have podcasts and they're talking about something and you can instantly tell that they have no idea what they're talking about that they didn't spend a single minute 
really looking into like trying to find who has reliable info, who's telling, who's not just giving you some, you know, 30,000, 30, right. 30,000 foot view of, of a program. And, you know, we, I like college football, but let's be honest. Like I'm not, I haven't been watching week in and week out big 12 games. So, you know, I'm learning about these teams. And if I'm going to be the guy that comes on here and talks about the teams on Sunday morning and, and kind of talks about them the week leading into the game, I feel like I need to have a, a much better understanding of who they are than I currently have. I think we've been educated here as well as we've ever been on this podcast over the past like eight, nine weeks, whatever it is, like getting getting to dive deep into these opponents. I agree. Uh, let's see what else we got. Uh, are they still Sam, using an H back? Uh, not Athens. really. No. Yeah. No. Now that they have actual, like a, an actual wide receiver room, it looks a little bit more like a traditional offense. Um, either, you know, 11 personnel with one running back and one tight end or 12 personnel with two tight ends, uh, three wide receivers, <clears throat> a majority of the time. <laughs> it's uh it's a lot more traditional than what we saw in the spring where they were trying to figure out what the hell are we going to do with our wide receiver room like that's the thing people forget it's like three other guys that left during the spring yeah so like what they thought they had going into the spring all of a sudden like they didn't have any guys and d wiggins missed a couple practices and like it, it just they were scrambling to figure out. Yeah, Sam, Taylor Smith was out there a ton in the spring game. Yes, because they had to put 11, they, like the rules say they had to put 11 guys on the field. <laughs> yeah, and the, um, same, the same two tight ends can't take all the snaps. Right. Although I do think, and, and I think you've mentioned it a little bit, but I do think we have a third tight end that's kind of emerging as Michael as, McCallman. Why as, walk on as someone who I mean, let's not get over our skis, but like he can catch the ball. If things happened, could he could he step in and at least fill the role? I, I think he could. Like I'm not gonna go out and say that like he's gonna get targets and that I mean Shimon and, and Peyton Singletary are certainly going to be the one and two target opportunity opportunity driven tight ends but with Joey Belgian being hurt it seems like he does have of the potential to make it back at some point this season but that wouldn't be until much further down Late the line October, early November right at the early so you're really still at two tight ends and it is good to see that there's another guy that has emerged in in fall camp to at worst be someone that they feel comfortable enough to put on the field if they absolutely had to and Sam says he's a sucker for H-backs and, and fullbacks. Uh, Sam, I suggest you watch tapes from the 80s as much yeah. as possible. <laughs> what, who, who's, what college teams are you watching besides Navy? Because Army's not even <laughs> Army's not even running the triple anymore. Right. Um, anything else in here? I think that was it of the questions and, and comments. Um, but, yeah, what did um, – Today in camp, obviously, no, no. Uh, Emory Jones had a dental procedure. So, what? What? How did the offense look? Understanding not bad. that, that, that not QB, bad. QB one was not there. 
I thought Lichty handled QB1 pretty well today. And I, I think because there's not more time in a day than I need right now, um, I think the nightcap will end up being the, the camp report from today. Because I tried to get it done, and I I don't have enough time in the day right now, Dave. Oh, you're gonna you're gonna anger the people. I know. Well, I want to read. I don't have time to listen to all these podcasts. They've gotten one every day. Luckily, like, <laughs> look, I hired Keegan, and uh, he is he's heading off to vacation in August, which we we've had a talk uh, that is no longer admissible. Um, <laughs> August vacations are off the table. Well, at least he made it to the first camp. Unlike Justin yeah. Williams, the first the first camp he he covered the team for. He was on vacation for half of it. Well, no, is he, he, he covered. Is he is he Brent? Is he going to a, a wedding? No, they're going on a cruise. So, like a fa- I think it's a family deal that was probably out of August. his control. Oh yeah, certainly out of his control. <laughs> I mean, if your mom, you're, he's 23. If your mom tells you we're going on a cruise and I'm paying for it, you know yeah. what you're doing? What is he going to do? Be like, no, you know, I think, I think I'm going to stay here and go to football practice. You would not catch me on a cruise ship. Me either, but to each their own. Um, no, catch Justin, on... but Justin, Justin, his year one, first camp that he covered, he showed up for the first day and then went on vacation for a week. And he still gets held to that, like, to this moment. Uh, but I will say he was at higher ground that year more than he was this year. So, Well, I mean, that's not hard to do. I've been to higher ground more than he, more than him this year. <laughs> he was there today. We sent you a picture from the dining room. I know. I said, I don't know. I'm not familiar with this human. <laughs> he said, I listened to the BCJ pod last week, and I was taking a lot of strays. And I was like, those are well-earned strays. Like, yeah, they're not strays. <laughs> They were, they were direct they were shots. Accurate. Direct shots. <laughs> it was good to have Justin back around today. I guess he's been in Lubbock. It's hard to get there. I thought he was go. I listened to a podcast that he was on today. I think he was. I thought he was going to Lubbock in a couple weeks. Well, that must have been recorded a while ago because oh, he maybe. just got back from Lubbock. So we'll have him on soon. He'll explain. He's still doing UC stuff, but he's he's doing some Big 12 stuff for the athletic now as well. So uh, his uh, time commitments are – his time is very precious right now. Yeah, he's he the – get to hang out with the, us anymore. Uh, he, what is he, the Eastern time zone correspondent? Like he'll go from UC <laughs> to, to UCF to West Virginia? Does, do we have more people working covering the Pac-12, Pac-4, whatever they are at this point? <laughs> well, Just I know, there's, I know there's three people covering the Big 12. Yeah. Like Max Olsen is kind of the main guy that covers the Big Max 12. Max and Sam Conn. Just curious. And then Justin is kind of uh, helping out in that that world. So Yeah. We get him a little bit less. He's still going to be around, but we get him just a little bit less because, you know, they're, they're – they they actually after five years realized oh shit this guy's really good we probably we probably should use him for more stuff yeah um, but it was good to see him today uh, I'll see him again in probably a month so so what uh, I don't actually no because you're gonna use the we'll use we'll the, talk we can talk a little bit about it but I I thought the offense was still pretty pretty Lichty had a good day 
which made you feel good. Like he stepped into that driver's seat um, and, and drove the car pretty well today. And then you saw Drogosh move up onto the, the second team and get those full second team reps behind him. Um, and look, man, the kid is super talented, super talented. It's just a matter of refining it and, and working out, you know, working through some of the, the kinks that happen with a true freshman quarterback, no matter how talented they are. That's the thing now. You're, you still have, I mean, we, Taj Ward, I mean, we have COVID guys. I mean, yeah, guys are six years older than him. Yeah. Taj and Malik are still here. (laughs) Like it's such a wild thing to be like, Oh yeah, this guy's a freshman and he's playing against, because there used to be the line was like the 18 to 22 year olds. Yeah. Now it's like if you enroll early, you might still be 17 playing against 23 and 24-year-olds. Yeah, yeah. So it's just such a big spread of, you know, age, maturity, body composition, experience that, like, you know, if you're a freshman, you come in and, like, at any any school, if you're a freshman, you come in and you're, like, a serious contributor from the jump, like, you're a different dude. Um, it was good to see, uh, the, the, uh, Bearcats Twitter put out the, the go Bearcats football Twitter, put out the Jordan young interception today. That was a good moment for him. Uh, kind of high pointing a ball over Xavier Henderson, um, and, and, and making a play, uh, the sack said it post-practice, like Sammy Anderson has been the best corner at camp. Um, but Jordan Young has been good. And I I think what's important when we talk about Jordan Young, he made so many plays in the spring because I I think that is in relation to, they were trying to force the ball to that number one spot, right? Because they just didn't have a lot of guys at wide receiver at that point. So like, you're trying to get it to D Wiggins. You're trying to get it to Donovan Ali. So Jordan Young's in position to make a lot of plays. Here's what I'll say that I haven't noticed, Dave. I haven't noticed a lot of like Jordan Young got beat. Right. So that tells me, you know what they're not doing? They're not picking on him. Like they're not, okay, like we've got an advantage here. We're going at Jordan Young. Uh, They've gone at Sammy more and Sammy's had a great camp, which is, that's how it's supposed to work, right? Like you want to, you have to have in college football, you have to have two really good corners. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I think Jordan Young had a great spring. They they didn't test him as much in the summer uh, or at camp. And they maybe tried to test Sammy a little bit more. And then Sammy had a great run of things. So hopefully what that means is they're in a position where they've got two starting corners that they feel pretty good about. Um, Taj made some plays today. Uh, I think he's going to be really good in that back end. And I'm starting the number of uh, plays that DJ Taylor has made like over the last four or five days. Now you look at that safety position and and if you got three, you feel pretty, I think you feel pretty damn good. If you got three guys between uh, Brian threats and uh, Taj Ward and then DJ Taylor, I think you feel pretty good at safety. Right. And that's coming in on the defense. Wasn't that our biggest, like, what if, like, what do we don't know? 
we don't know how good the DBs are going to be. I, I haven't seen a lot of plays made on those those guys that are at the top of the roster. Um, now the depth gets a little, you know. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious. You bring in a guy like Jabril White at the stage they brought him in. Like to me, that tells me like we need we need some depth. We think this guy you know, maybe he can get up to speed at the midpoint of the season and maybe he's accelerating faster um, than uh, that. But but I'm saying like people, when they initially made, when they initially yeah. made the decision, like we need somebody that maybe not help us right now, but like if if stuff gets a little squirrely, like we don't feel great about everybody else in the room. Marcus says what well, a Kyle Trask comparison for Drogosh. I mean, Marcus is a Florida guy. I would say more athletic, not as big. Trask is a big freaking dude. Um, Brady's more athletic, not as big yet, not not near where Kyle. I mean, it, could, it took Kyle a while, but not near where Kyle was as a passer his his senior year. But I do kind of see a little bit of the a little bit of the similarity. Brady can sling it, man. He can, he oh, can yeah. spin it. He can really throw the football. Kyle, I mean, Kyle Trask was a big-time thrower of the ball. I mean, they went yeah. toe-to-toe with Alabama in the SEC championship game his senior year. Yeah. I'm not comparing him to Kyle yeah. Trask. I'm no. saying – But, I, I mean, I, I understand where the, you know, this, where the similarities could be. Yeah. Uh, over, under, on number of Emory Jones picks <laughs> for the fan base to call for Drogosh. One. Well, I mean, I guess you can't you can't call for Evan now because he's playing wide receiver. I guess you could. Yeah. Look, if you <laughs> haven't seen the Evan Prater interview today, you need to go watch it. Yeah, for sure. It was elite. Like he, that is a grown up Evan Prater. Like I, I was really, really impressed with the way he handled himself and the way he handled the questions and uh, took it took it all head on today. Um, I don't know if you got a chance to watch it or not. I did. What'd you think? Enjoy, enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, he's, he seemed very comfortable. Like, you know, I'm, you know, it's tough. I'm not going to try. I'm not trying to like get into their minds or anything, but there has to be some level of weight kind of just lifted off his shoulders just in general. Like, you know, he felt he wanted to be the next UC sure. quarterback. You know he wanted sure. to live up to the the ranking and the Mr. Football as a quarterback, but that but there also has to be some level of of freedom that he's like, now I'm just a football player. I'm gonna go out there, I'm gonna play wide receiver, I'm gonna try to get better every day, try to help this team win. And you know, nobody's you know analyzing my every step. They're not analyzing, you know, it's just I can just be a college football player now. And, and try to become the best wide receiver I can be versus all the expectations, all the, the you know, the pressure he put on himself, the pressure he maybe felt from the fan base or, you know, what, who, I mean, I mean, let's be real. Like, he had an insane high school career. He comes to UC to be that next guy, and it didn't work out. So I'm sure, you know, he's disappointed in that regard. But I think this is probably the best thing for him. I think it's a way better situation for him mentally and just personally and yeah we'll see football wise but like 
transferring to another school to try to play quarterback, you know, I think this is probably just better for him as a dude than doing that. Sure. I agree. Anything else you got? Um, do you want to, you know, is there any anything basketball-wise that needs to be discussed? I, I did know? have some conversations uh, driving around today, uh, basketball recruiting-wise. Um, it, it's going to be really interesting because I think this is the future of UC basketball recruiting. And what I mean by that is, if you look at the 2024 class, there's essentially five guys. There's Jace Richardson, there's LeBaron Phylon, and there's Travis Perry at guard. There's Tyler Betsy, uh, who is a stretch forward, uh, really, really big time shooter, top 30 type guy. Uh, Richardson and Phylon are top 50 guys, top 30 guys, depending on where you look. Uh, Perry's a top 75 type guy. And then Jaden Quaintance, uh, who's a right around five-star big man. Yeah, top 25. Yeah. Th- those are the five names. And uh, I think they are going to swing big. And if they don't, land on the big I don't think we're going to see a lot of secondary targets anymore because I think they're confident at what they can do in the portal uh they've got the NIL um I think they are going to say these are the high school players that you know we have invested time in and that we feel that we have a legitimate chance with we know we're going to be in some dog fights I all five of those situations are going to be dog fights to the finish to figure out, you know, what one or two or three schools in the mix, you know, with Richardson, it feels like Cincinnati, Alabama, uh, and Michigan state with Tyler Betsy, it's starting to feel a lot like, uh, Yukon and Cincinnati, um, LeBaron Phylon, uh, Auburn, I think has kind of been perceived as the favorite. We'll see he's at link prep now. So, you know, maybe that gives Wes, a little bit of a an edge because he's so close to those guys. Um, acquaintance has talked about being from Ohio, like wanting to stay close into that central Ohio State, Cincinnati, Kentucky kind of uh, window. Uh, I know you're a big fan of this. If you're going to recruit high school, don't dip into 124, 136, not, one. With the transfer portal and the immediate eligibility that it brings, I'm not interested in developmental players anymore. I don't mind if you really feel here and there. If you have a four or five man class, sure. Right. Because you're not going to swing at five top 50 guys and get all of them. So you have to have a backup plan. Yeah, but But I understand that. There's no net at this point. But they don't don't need, but I'm saying they don't need five guys. Right. If you, right. if you need five guys, if for some reason you have to take a bigger class, then I understand because you're not going to hit on every one of your top targets. But in this case, like, yes, that's what the transfer portal's for. We, we swing and then we see what happens the rest of the year and who transfers. And then we have an immediate spot to say, hey, 
we recruited this position. We didn't get what we wanted. We want you to come in and take that role immediately. Instead right. of, hey, guy ranked 112. We think you can be good in three years, two years, but it will take some development. And in those two years, do you get tired of not playing and, and you transfer? And you go somewhere else and be their guy that right. <laughs> they got out of the transfer portal that's now ready. Like I think that was the Colin White thing. I, I think Cincinnati really liked Colin White. Like we and did it, uh, all we did all your development just for you to go play for somebody else. Right. Like Colin White, who committed to Ohio State. Um, I think that was kind of where Cincinnati was, was like, look, we think in two or three years this kid's gonna be a, an outstanding college player. Is he going to give us those two to three years before it happens? Or, you know, is he going to get antsy and go somewhere else? Or, you know, like, how does this work? And I think coaches are navigating that landscape. I, I know people have talked about, like, oh, that's, you know, coaches aren't going to recruit the top 75 anymore. That's bullshit. That's bullshit. Where it is going to change things is, like, 100 to 150. Those guys are still really damn good players. Like, they're not going right. to stop recruiting top 75. There's 300 and something college basketball programs. They're just all the good ones are just going to only focus on like the top 40 guys. Right. No, I don't so, buy that for a second. That's kind of where my understanding of things are at. Um, I think there's a chance. It's not set in stone yet, but I think there's a chance you could have both Jace Richardson and Tyler Betsy on campus for the Oklahoma game. I think that would be pretty damn impressive for, for those two young men. Uh, I would assume since Tyler McKinley is back and going to Winton Woods now uh, that, you know, he, be, he would he be, be there. around. He would be around somewhere. Uh, that's a, that's a pretty nice visit weekend for that game. If you get those two guys. You know, one a top 30, one a top 40. And I think Jace Richardson's better than I think Jace Richardson's a fringe five star player. Um big noon kickoff. Maybe that's that's your area of expertise. I mean, seems like seems like that's what's gonna be. They don't do the Big Ten anymore. Well, it could be it could be a Big 12 game or a Big Ten game. Right, that's what I'm saying. What are the Big Ten? We're looking at the Big Twelve options. Well, I think the big, the best Big Ten option is Notre Dame, Ohio State, but that's at Notre Dame. Have so they that, not gone to? That's going to be an M NBC or. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that they don't. Well, as, as, have they only done games that are on? I don't know. Like you know this better than me. Only done. Have they what? only done noon kickoff on Fox as the big noon kickoff. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. The game, the game is big noon kickoff. Like it's okay. It's it not is the like, Fox it's, National game. It's not like game day, and then right. That's what I'm asking. And well, then I'm there's kidding. no game until seven o'clock at night. No, it right. is. It is the show, and the game is at noon. Well, I guess we'll find out. I mean, if it's on big. We'll if it's on Big Boy Fox, then it's. Then it's yeah, big noon kickoff. What better atmosphere could you ask for to bring in two Which, top forty? I know, I know, players. our fan base wants all the night games, and I get it. The program doesn't. I'll just tell you guys that. 
And, I just don't love. And it's all, and it's all t- it's all TV driven. So yeah. I mean, you know. But I will say, granted, the number was buoyed by an insane, like the Ohio State Michigan game got a seventeen last year, which is an insane, <laughs> insane college sure. regular sure. season number. But the big noon kickoff games averaged six point two last year, which would be right. outside of UC Georgia and UC Alabama would be at least double any UC football game ever from a rating standpoint. Yeah. yeah. And I know we're all pretty excited to see it. So. Yeah. I mean, you wanted to be in the big 12. You wanted the exposure. There's your exposure. Like, I don't know if any of the other new, I mean, I don't know if any of the other new teams are going to get home games on Fox. Like I wasn't expecting UC to. <laughs> right. <laughs> big, big time coach leaves all your players from your, college football playoff or most of your players from your college football playoff team are gone. Like tons of unknowns. Like I wasn't expecting them to get to be in that position. Right. A game on Fox, you know, so I'm all for it. I mean, I hate new games, but I mean, yeah, I don't love them. They suck. Jello shots hit different at eight 30 in the morning. They just do. (laughs) Four 30 hits different at noon at, at, at a noon kickoff. I do like them when they're over. I will say that. Sure, sure. But, they're great when they're over. Yeah. Does Chad know who Trilly Donovan is? No, no, no one does. I would love to know. I would love to know. Did you see they did I bet I, the Athletic yeah, didn't know? It was article? really good. It was really good. I bet. I bet there's a pretty good chance I know. If you told me this is who it is, I would be like, yeah, I know him. I think there's a pretty good chance of that. But no, I don't. I thought it was Slater for the longest time. Who? Uh, Andrew Slater. He he ran the Duke twenty four seven, or like was their basketball recruiting guy for the Duke twenty four seven site for a while, um, and then oh, okay. has, has gone out on his own. Um, he's very good. He knows a lot. Like there's it. Slater is one of those guys, if I have questions that I can't find an answer to, Slater, I know, usually has an idea of what's going on in that kid's recruitment. I mean, what did the guy say? He's East Coast, not a coach. Yeah. I was trying to think, what else? Did he say, did he, did he say he was not associated with a program? I don't remember Correct. that part. He knows a lot of people and has friends that are. Right. Lobby. I mean, you got to know somebody. Yeah, but I mean, I think there is a connection to the, the recruiting world to where it's somebody I probably am at least an acquaintance of. Like some AAU guy or something? Yeah, that like it's not probably not tied to any specific AAU program, but just somebody that is an AAU guy that is right, on like, the scene. Like guy and, who runs the Peach Jam? No, he seems young. Well, but I'm, I'm just saying, like, something like that. Right. Like, somebody that just has connections. Like, I, I know a lot of people thought it was Corey Evans, and I'm good friends with Corey. Like, Corey's an awesome dude. Um, he's now in the NBA and worked at Rivals for a long time with yeah. Bossy. Um, Corey's awesome. But <laughs> a, lot of, <laughs> a lot of people thought it was Corey. 
And Corey just laughed. He's like, oh, I don't have time. Like, I'm an NBA scout. I don't have time. I don't have time to chase. To be Trilly Donovan, yeah. To chase uh, transfer portal rumor, rumors yeah. or something. They did say he's 32. Like, that's the that's what he oh, told okay. them. His well, age yeah, I mean, he could have been lying. Right, right. <laughs> like, he went on Zoom. He did the interview over Zoom so that the guy didn't have his phone number. Right. He had no, his camera no off video. the entire time. Right. right. So, yeah, I mean. Just because he said he was 32 doesn't mean he's 32. But I like I love it, man. Like I, I did such an awesome like like spot to be in for that guy, oh, whoever yeah. it is. Like how fun is that? Like you're the man of the the college basketball man of mystery that seemingly knows almost everything. Yeah, and is now in a position where people are in communication with him via DMs and telling him things. Like that's the hard part, though. You got to filter out like what the hell's what the hell's real and what's not. Yeah, like but if somebody like, telling you something just because they want it out there, and right. it's it's not actually you know, right. So no, I I, I don't know who Trilly Donovan is, um, but I love the account. It's phenomenal. It's so good. So do I do I need to follow it from the Bearcat Journal account? You can. I mean, if you want, like he says, he DMs with people all the time. You might not have the information that he's looking for on our side, uh, but if you want to use him for information, you know, knock yourself out. Uh, all right, one last thing before we get out of here, Sam, you're you're killing us. No, I'm kidding. Uh, are, you, are you talking about like announcers? Uh, no, I think he's talking like like oh play, play callers. Oh Jesus, yeah. Sam. If you're going to ask 30 questions, can you throw us five bucks, man? Oh, man. I don't know if I know a ton of – I mean, Andy Reid is a – I mean – Andy Reid's the best play caller of all one time. One of the right? best play callers of all time. Um, shit. Who does some some funky stuff that I that I like? I did retweet today a very, a very uh, sexy play that – Western Kentucky ran last year with uh, with Joey Belgian tight end. So uh, I liked that play. I, I mean, trying to think play callers. Uh, can I say Josh Heupel? <laughs> one of my, fi- I, I, one might, of my I, might, I might fire you. One that. of my favorite coaches in all of college football. Offensive coordinators. He says offensive yeah, coordinators. Yeah, Josh, Josh Heupel. He's an offensive coordinator. Lane Kiffin, for sure. Um. Oh, let's see. Lane for sure. Um, I don't know. This isn't great. Um, yeah, I'll just go. Lane is Lane and Lane, Andy Reid, and um, I think Sean McVay is a real is a really good play caller. Uh, when he's got the right pieces, which is, yeah. you know, anybody's a good play caller when you got good, like, good dudes. But Zach Taylor, um, Matt says, I mean, offense is pretty good, but you got good yeah. players, so it helps. Sam, you're subscribed to BearcatJournal.com. This is YouTube.com slash Bearcat Journal. It's Dol- Dolphins, Dolphins, coach Mike, Mike McDaniel's a good play caller, I think. I like what he yeah. does, and I like what they do in the run game. Kyle Shanahan. Shanahan probably has to be right there behind Andy Reid right now, right? Yeah, he's up there. I mean, you can you win that many games with quarterbacks that weren't good in college. 
Aaron's the quarterback. Aaron could be the quarterback at the, for the 49ers, and they'd still win 10 games. Yeah. So, um, especially with that flow. But yeah, I, I mean, I love Lane. Lane Lane's great. I love everything about him. But yeah, I got to gotta study up on some more offensive play callers, I guess. Because no, no one was really jumping right to mind. Sark and Lincoln Riley for him. Sark's a good one. He knows how to get the running backs involved. All right. Can we go? Yeah. All right. Let's go. That is the BCJ podcast. Thank you to the Holy Grail. Thank you to Team Ticker. Thank you for Turtles Brew. What, what are you doing, Dave? Reading an email. Oh, okay. Thank you <laughs> to uh, Homefield Apparel. And anybody else that wants to sponsor, just hit me up. We'll figure something out. Tomorrow guys. nightcap. Simone family tailgate. Simone family tailgate, if anybody wants to sponsor that. Uh, we'll see you next time. That is the BCJ podcast presented by the Holy Grail right here on BearcatJournal.com.